All right, what's up, guys? Welcome in to today's episode of the Southeast Tips Podcast. It is Wednesday, January the 10th, 2018. On today's episode, uh, we're going to dive into Tuesday night's action around the world of SEC basketball. There was a lot of intriguing matchups on the schedule. We got some interesting results. Uh, let's start with the game that obviously I think probably looked like the biggest game uh, you know, one of the biggest games of the SEC slate a couple weeks ago. Uh, but now, given the injury situation for Texas A&M, uh, we weren't really sure what we were going to get, but we still got a very, very competitive game. And that was in Kentucky, uh, in Lexington, knocking off Texas A&M 74-73. Back-to-back one-point losses now for the Aggies. And that's one where you look around at where they are right now. They're <laughs> sitting here at 0-4 in the SEC, uh, I'm not laughing at the Aggies. I'm laughing at the fact that how strange the whole thing is because they enter SEC play as the highest-ranked team. They're number five in the country at one point, and now they're at 0-4. But I will say this, too. Looking at their schedule coming into to SEC play, it was already, I thought, one of the tougher schedules uh, and talking about having to play Alabama, Florida, Kentucky, Tennessee, LSU, obviously, in there as well. Uh, but now to be sitting here actually at 0-4, going to Knoxville on Saturday, it's a very tough spot for Billy Kennedy's team because I think when you look at last night's game, you get Admon Gilder back, who who certainly gave them a boost. I mean, here's a guy that if if they had had him on the floor uh, in some of these recent games, they probably would have had a chance to win. Now, they might not win at Alabama. They might not win against Florida, uh, but he certainly makes an impact. And you saw that last night. He scored 14 points, uh, just gave them an instant boo. I mean, he played 35 minutes. I mean, that was a tie. Him and DJ Hogue both played 35 minutes more than anyone on the team. So it's clear how he impacts the game, and we already knew that. But still, this feels like one of those games where Texas A&M is kind of going to look at this and feel like they really had a chance to win this game, even without Dwayne Wilson on the court. They're almost back at full strength now, and I think maybe having Dwayne Wilson makes a difference in this game, obviously because of what he can do at point guard. Even then, you know, the Aggies didn't really have trouble taking care of the ball. They only had 12 turnovers, which Kentucky had 12 turnovers as well. Um, So it wasn't like a situation where they struggled to find any offense without Wilson on the floor. They seemed to get good shots uh, and had their chances. But once again, they they let one kind of get away from them. And here they are now at 0-4. But I think you also have to credit Kentucky here because they were without Quad A Green. And Gildas Alexander really stepped up, I thought, played well, which is not really anything surprising. Um, He didn't play particularly well in that game at Tennessee. I mean, it was one where, you know, if they get production out of him, how does that game go? But coming back off of a game like that and being able to bounce back with the way he did, uh, against Texas A&M, I thought was huge. Again, because Quade Green's out with an injury. It seems like it's a day-to-day thing, uh, some kind of back issue. So they'd certainly like to get him back sooner rather than later because that gives them two really good options there. Uh, point guard, but but they also had balance you know, with the other guys that we kind of expect to step up and score. Hamadou Diallo led the way with 18 points. P.J. Washington had 16. Kevin Knox had 15. So you basically have four guys. I mean, everybody else, you got to combine nine points out of. So... It was a big win for Kentucky. I mean, as, as bad of a loss as it is for Texas A&M to be sitting here at 0-4, I thought it was a big win for Kentucky just because they needed to, to get that win. And we're going to see that situation now where 
Kentucky at home this season, even though they may have their struggles on the road, which we saw at Tennessee, uh, and we sort of saw at LSU. I mean, LSU had a chance to win that game there uh, on the third, but Kentucky's going to be tough to beat in Lexington. It's always the case, no matter what team is on the floor there. uh, It's always going to be difficult. Now we're going to see Kentucky, how they bounce back from this, because they're going to go back-to-back road games at Vanderbilt, at South Carolina. If you look at the standings right now, if you just kind of gauge how every team has played, I think some people would argue that you could put Vanderbilt South Carolina in that bottom tier of teams in the SEC. So how does Kentucky prepare for that? Because we know both of those teams are, are going to be ready for the challenge. Both of them need wins. You know, Vandy and South Carolina are both sitting there at 1-3 and three in the conference, and so they both feel like they need victories. And they're going to be ready to play. Vanderbilt's shooting the ball better. When Chris Silva's on the floor, South Carolina can have a chance to beat anyone, I think, especially with the way they play defense. That's an opportunity for both those teams to kind of knock Kentucky off. And then the the questions regarding the road play come back into to play for Kentucky. So we'll see how that goes. But nonetheless, I mean, it's a big win for Kentucky, and, and it's a very tough spot for Texas A&M right now at 0-4 uh, with Dwayne Wilson seemingly being out another week. That's what Billy Kennedy said on the uh, the SEC coaches teleconference on Monday, said he thought he'd be out another week, which to me tells me they probably won't play at Tennessee. So that makes it even tougher, especially when we talk about another game from last night, and that was Vanderbilt in Tennessee, where the Vols uh, trailed, but they found a way to come back and get a big win, and they did it. You know, and, and for a big reason was certainly Grant Williams. I mean, he goes for a career high 37 points. He gets the free throw line 15 times, knocks down 13 of those attempts, uh, 12 of 20 from the floor. And I just don't know what else you say about this guy because you talked about it last year where <laughs> he came out of high school, not a a you know a high-rated recruit. He wasn't anyone that was in that top 10, top 50, anything like that. I mean, you just look at the rankings. This guy, you know, if you pay attention to the stars and all that, if uh, you know, a three-star recruit, not someone that you kind of looked around and thought, well, you know, people are, are beating down the door to offer him a scholarship. And yet here he is now in his second year. He scored 30 points twice last year. Here he is with a performance like this, and he just continues to show that he's probably one of the more undervalued players in the in the country at this point. I mean, he just he goes out and does the work gets the job done, and I think that's the kind of guy you have to have on your team. He's not the guy that's out there just being flashy, worried about how many points he scores. He just goes out and works, and I think that's something that a lot of players could learn from. Uh, you know, stop worrying about the star ratings and all that and just go out and outwork people because that's what Grant Williams does, and it's certainly paid off for him and this Tennessee team to get the win like that. Uh, you know, Admiral Schofield goes for 22 points. Jordan Bowden had 12. Um, those were the double-digit scores for Tennessee. And if you're on the other side for Vanderbilt, uh, you know, they led by 10 at halftime. They shot 52% from the floor. They made 11 threes. That's four home games in a row now. They've made at least 10 three-pointers. Um, they only turned the ball over eight times. And so when you look at that, you feel like you should have a chance to win the game which is one that they certainly needed. Saban Lee, once again, another great performance, 21 points. He fouled out, uh, but you know leads the way again. Jeff Roberson continues to do what he does there for that team, just such a versatile player. But 
the problem was that they just couldn't stop Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee shot 57% for the game. They scored 57 points in the second half, and it goes right back around to where we started when you talk about what Grant Williams did. I mean, just an unbelievable performance. And if people want to keep sleeping on this guy, go ahead. But he's the reason why Tennessee uh, continues uh, to kind of look like a team that's going to make some noise and really have a chance to finish right there near the top uh, in the SEC standings this year. So a big win for Tennessee on the road, especially coming off that Kentucky game where you feel like maybe there's a chance you have a little bit of a letdown. Uh, That didn't exactly happen. I mean, with the way they, they bounced back after that first half, and really uh, just played very, very well down the stretch. So you have to give the balls credit for a big win there. Now they'll return home and play the, the 0-4 Texas A&M Aggies, which uh, is a huge game uh, because you think about Texas A&M possibly dropping to 0-5, and it's big for Tennessee in the fact that they'll go to, they'll go on the road for three of their next four after that where they'll play at Missouri, at South Carolina, come back home for another game against Vanderbilt before they go take on Iowa State in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. So, uh, huge win for the Vols. Grant Williams, you got to just give this kid all the credit in the world. He's really playing well. Another game uh, on the schedule, and that was uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide. They had a bit of a bounce back of their own. They get a 76-62 win over South Carolina. Now, I've said it a lot of times already about South Carolina. Chris Silva only played 18 minutes, fouled out. That just can't happen. If South Carolina's going to win games home, on the road, doesn't matter where. If he's only playing 18 minutes, it's going to be hard for South Carolina to win the game. He had nine points. Uh, again, five fouls, 18 minutes. That That's just something to where anytime that happens, South Carolina already is a team that doesn't have a ton of depth on offense. And, and when you have a situation where your best player is not playing you know, more than a half, which is 18 minutes. I mean, he didn't even play a complete half. In that regard, that's just going to be uh, tough to do, and especially on the other side when you have an Alabama team that shot 59% from the floor and they win the game by 14 points, led by as many as 23 in the second half, and they do all of that with Colin Sexton only playing 22 minutes and only scoring five points a season low. So that just kind of shows you with Alabama – and a lot of people have asked me this over the past week or so. you know. And I mentioned on the last podcast, what's the problem with Alabama? The problem with Alabama is going to continue to probably be the problem all year long. It's just that there's going to be inconsistency because of how young and inexperienced the team is overall. Um, you don't really know what you're going to get on a night-in and night-out basis. You can look at the matchups. You can check out all the stats, everything on paper, feel like you know what's going to happen, but you just don't ever know what you're going to get. And teams like that can be difficult to trust. But in this game specifically, you have to give them credit because at Georgia, they only scored 46 points. Half of those came from Sexton. And you were wondering, well, Alabama's got to have something else around these guys or you know they're not going to be able to win games. Well, they come back here now, and you get a game where Sexton only scores five points, only took eight shots, and yet they find a way to shoot the ball as well as they did against what is traditionally a very good defensive team in South Carolina, uh, and you have four players that score in double double figures. So, I mean, John Petty led the way with 15 points coming off the bench. 
Dante Hall had 13. Daniel Giddens had 11. There's a guy that I've talked about many times. Daniel Giddens has to be able to play. He can't be in foul trouble. He needs to be on the floor for them because he can give them a lot of good minutes. I mean, when they have Hall and Giddens in the paint, they they can be a dangerous team. You need to be able to interchange those guys. Maybe there's situations where you play them both at the same time, but it's like you're a lot better when you can have both those guys you know, running in and out, doing whatever you need, rather than having one in foul trouble, which Giddens has, has gotten into foul trouble a lot this season. Uh, Avery Johnson Jr. has 10 points off the bench. So you have versatility there, and I think that's what you have to have going forward if you're Alabama on the offensive end of the floor. It can't just be everyone standing around watching Colin Sexton, which is something we've seen at times this year. You know, I saw him in person here at Nashville at Vanderbilt, and it was I mentioned it back then. It was a situation where you felt like on a lot of offensive possessions, Alabama sort of relied on Sexton to do everything and just kind of stood around waiting for something to happen uh, versus trying to make something happen elsewhere. And I think it's kind of a situation where, again, if you're Alabama, you just want to have more consistency from everyone else. And so to have a game like this uh, against the South Carolina team that, like I mentioned, is, is very challenged sometimes, especially when Silva's not on the floor, it's still a good win based on what we saw from Alabama in those previous two games against Georgia and Vanderbilt. Uh, especially now they go to LSU on Saturday, a team that's playing with a lot of confidence, and we'll see how LSU does tonight against Arkansas. But there's a lot of opportunity still on the schedule for Alabama, and, and I mention this all the time. People think the season's over three games into conference play, but Alabama still has an RPI as of today of 43. And that strong non-conference schedule did them a lot of favors because there's still so many opportunities to grab quality wins. They just have to find them somewhere, and they're going to get many many opportunities. I mean, look, we know who they play in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. They're going to host Oklahoma and Trey Young. So they have a lot of opportunity for quality wins. They have Kentucky, Auburn, Florida, uh, all these different teams, and they get Auburn twice, they get Florida twice, they get Kentucky, Tennessee, they have another game against Texas A&M. So Alabama has opportunities to continue to make that march towards the NCAA tournament. They've just got to get that consistency going, uh, and I don't really know that you can expect that to be the case, especially when they go on the road uh, just because of the inexperience. So we don't really know what we're going to get from this team uh, we'll find out more maybe when they go to LSU on Saturday. And then to wrap up last night's action, you had the Auburn Tigers, who I mentioned in the last podcast as of right now, I think you have to put as the best team in the SEC. Um, Auburn got down by 10 in the first half. They were down at 10 at halftime. They made some great adjustments at halftime, I thought. They took better shots in the second half. They had more of a sense of urgency on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, those are the kind of adjustments that you have to have to be an upper-tier team. And Auburn had that at halftime of this game because that first half comes around, you give up 45 points in the first half, you've had this long losing streak against Ole Miss, and now it kind of starts to get into your head, especially you know, you're ranked for the first time since 2003. There's a lot of things that could have went the opposite direction for Auburn in this game uh, just because of all the hype that's now around this program to where they are. Like I said, in my personal opinion, the best team in the SEC as of today, uh, they could have let all that get to them, and they could have came back out in the second half, 
shot a lot more threes and really struggled. But that didn't happen. You had a team that came out focused, and so they get the 15-point win over Ole Miss. And the way they did it uh, is the most impressive part to me. And I I said this on Twitter last night. It's the reason why Auburn is sitting here right now with a 13-game winning streak um, and being, you know, in my eyes, a top-20 team right now. They did it because they had six players scoring double figures. Not just that. They had six players score between 12 and 16 points. That's the type of depth, that's the type of balance that I've been talking about for months now with this team. In that, with Wiley and Purefoy still out, they have the balance still scoring-wise to win games. And we've seen that now throughout this stretch. They just have a lot of guys that are very versatile and can score in different ways. And so when you have those guys doing that, and even, you know, the guy specifically, like a guy like Horace Spencer, who gives them so many different things uh, on the on the offensive and defensive end of the floor, to have him score 12 the way he did. He hits four baskets. He gets to the free throw line five times. Deshaun Murray gets to the free throw line 15 times, even though he only, goes, he only went two of five from the floor. But he scores 16 points because he gets to the free throw line. Auburn is a very tough team to guard, and it's just so many challenges when you have to face a team like that because you have six, seven guys maybe at times that are able to score the ball at a consistent rate. And Mustafa Heron and Bryce Brown, they want to combine 9 of 25 from the floor, yet they still win the game by 15, even with two guys like that, you know, not shooting at a very high percentage. So... That just speaks to what they're doing, and and I go back to the defensive end of the floor as well. You give up 45 points in the first half. You come back in the second half, only give up 25 points. That's the improvement that we didn't see last year. If Auburn had a bad half sometimes last year on the defensive end of the floor, it would carry over into the next half, and you know you, you give up power many points, 80, 90 points, but they really kind of took charge on the defensive end of the floor and that was a huge thing, and that's why they came away with the win uh, and are still sitting here, like I said, riding this this winning streak. Uh, Bree and Tyree had a big game on the other side of the floor. He had 24 points for Ole Miss, uh, but you, you have to give credit to, to what Auburn did here, and they once again out-rebound their opponent, uh, and I just don't know what else you could say about what this team's doing. They had 16 assists on 25 made field goals. So, Auburn continues to, to roll right along, and here is where we find out. I talked about in the previous podcast as well. What happens when Auburn hits some adversity? We, you know, they, they sort of hit it in the first half against Ole Miss, getting down the way they did. Uh, they bounced back, played well. Now you have two very intriguing road games back-to-back here. They go to Mississippi State on Saturday. They turn around next Wednesday, go to Alabama. Though that's going to tell us a lot, I think. You know, if they somehow come out and win both of those games, which I think is going to be very hard to do. I mean, you just winning on the road in the SEC is very challenging. I don't care how good you are. Uh, and yes, Auburn has already won at Tennessee, but I think playing back-to-back road games like that, you know, it's going to be tough to win both of those games. Now, obviously, for Auburn fans. There's one of those games they'd much rather win. If they're going to lose one of those games, I think they'd probably rather it be the Mississippi State game than the Alabama game. Uh, But it's going to be challenging to win both those games. However, let's say they do. Then you come out. You have Georgia at home. Then you go to Missouri. They have the confidence to go out and win on the road. We've already seen that happen. They've won in, in very difficult environments this year. I know Dayton's down. 
but that's still a tough place to play. Murray State, I've mentioned it several times, very tough place to play. At Tennessee, Kentucky couldn't win there. And so Auburn goes in, scored 94 points, won the game the way they did in Knoxville. So you have to give credit to Bruce Pearl for what he's doing here, and now we start to see how well they're going to be able to, to face that adversity on the road. You go back-to-back games here, tough environments at Mississippi State and Alabama. Uh, so we're going to see if Auburn can keep this streak rolling right along. So that'll wrap up the recap from yesterday. Uh, my predictions for Wednesday's games are already up on the website at southeasthoops.com. You can go read about that. Uh, three intriguing matchups on the schedule. Mississippi State goes to Florida. Georgia goes to Missouri. LSU goes to Arkansas. So you can go check those out, and that'll do it for today's episode of the Southeast Soups Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed. Go over to iTunes. Just search for Southeast Soups. You can find the podcast on there. And as I mentioned, starting to do more of these podcasts again, uh, all the written work still going up at southeasthoops.com. If you're an SEC basketball fan, if you know someone that's an SEC basketball fan, make sure you get them subscribed free of charge uh, to the podcast uh, because we will continue to have a lot more stuff coming up here. Interviews on the way with analysts, coaches, and all that. If you want to go back through, listen to all the coaches I interviewed on the podcast uh, throughout the offseason, you can do that as well. So thank you as always for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.